his love in verse 9 is manifest toward us that he sent his only begotten son. The way that God manifested his love toward us is he took that thing most precious to him and he gave it for our benefit. So what the apostle is saying here in, in this passage, if, if this is the way God loved us, you got that? If, if this is how God loved us, then this is how we ought to love one another. Oh, wait, that just kind of takes things to a whole new level, doesn't it? That's a little different than, hey, guy, I love you. No, it's a love that is invested in the benefit of the other. God invested everything so that we could come into his presence, so that he could make a way where there seemed to be no way, so that we could have access to him. And the apostle is saying here to us, if God loved us in this way, then this is the way we ought to love one another. This is why we have to go from sitting in rows together, uh, down the row from each other, and looking at each other and waving and saying, hi, how are you? And, and uh, there, was a, there was a lady at one time that, we used to serve with, and every time you, I, I would know when her life was just going in terrible, terrible uh, direction, and I would shake her hand and say, how are you? And she would give me this uh, really plastic smile, and she'd say, blessed. Like, you don't mean that. You're having a terrible time right now. Blessed. But somewhere, in some form or fashion, the facade must come down and a vulnerability must come to those who love one another and an exchange must come to those who love one another where in a trusted environment they're able to really do life together and exchange uh, strength for strength. Isn't that wonderful? So he said, if God loved us in this fashion, this is how... We are to love one another in verse 11. And then in verse 12, he says, if, there's that big word that we're studying out, if we love one another, God abides in us. If we love one another, God abides in us. No, 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 no. I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to define those words in your mind while I'm saying them. If we love one another, God abides. Can you put an emphasis on that word for a moment? If, if we love one another, God hangs out with us. If we love one another, we become the habitation of his presence. One of my great uh, friends much more accomplished, I, I think, in ministering in the things of the Lord than I am. He says, he says Anthony, a long time ago, I, I quit praying for revi revival because revival blows in and blows out. But he says, I have begun to pray that, that me and the people that I'm leading and the church that I'm leading, we would become the habitation of the Lord, that we would become his dwelling place. 
The wonderful thing about being the dwelling place of God is there can be great seasons of celebration where it feels like the fires of revival are burning in our midst. But He is so present that even when it is quiet and when it is silent and when we are sitting alone in in moments of crisis, we know that He is there because we're not now just... It's not an emotional experience with God. We have Him dwelling with us. Well, he says, the way that you get me in your midst, the way that I become your habitation, the way that God abides with you is that you love one another. We really think in terms, in, in, particularly in religious thinking, we think about man loving God and God loving man. And, and we, we look at, uh, we try to filter scripture through the context of man loving God and God loving man. And the apostle is telling us, if you want God in your midst, man must love man. Believers must love one another for God to come and dwell in their midst. So then it becomes that relationships aren't formed in rows, they're formed in circles. And I wasn't going to preach on connect groups today, but here we are. Relationships are formed around a table where there's an exchange of personality and concern and and love and understanding and correction. We love one another. So he says this if, in in verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us. And then he says the, the most unusual thing. His love is perfected in us. Now I'm theological in my thinking, and I unpack things from a theological perspective from time to time. I don't consider myself to be a deep thinker, but (laughs) nevertheless, not many people that know me consider me to be a deep thinker. But nevertheless, if you read this passage of Scripture, it says in verse 12 that His love is perfected in us. And then if you read down in verse, I believe it's 17, yes, 17, It says, love has been perfected among us in this way that we we have boldness in the day of judgment, that that we come boldly before the throne of grace, that we have bold access to God. His love is perfected in us. If his love is mature in us, then, then we feel a confidence to step into his presence. There's a measuring stick for you, a little barometer, key to the kingdom. If If you are timid about your approach to God, His love is not yet mature in you. There's a place for... for so, so I begin to unpack this a little bit in my mind. If, if love is perfected in me, if love can be matured in me, then what does immature love look like? Because in order for me to get to a place of love being perfected and matured in me, I have to know if it's mature or not. So, one of the, so John gives us a, a barometer there. He says, it, if you're timid about your approach to God, if, if you have the idea that maybe he doesn't want to talk to you, ever, anybody ever feel like God doesn't want to hear from you? I lived there a lot of years. I felt like every time I went into his presence, oh God, here I come again, and, and I, I did a bad thing, and would you forgive me, and can we have a conversation? Right, and, and that approach to God that, that was constantly, ha, had that little strand of condemnation in it. 
Well, I, I realize then that's the voice of the enemy telling me that God doesn't want to talk to me, God doesn't want anything to do with me, and God's ashamed of me or embarrassed of me or, or disappointed in me. And I discovered that from the day that I was born until this day that I'm standing in front of you, God has never been disappointed in me. Because of Jesus, not because of me. Not that I haven't given him plenty of reasons to be disappointed if he would have liked to be. But he's not disappointed. He just wants us to come in. So uh, mature, perfected love has an understanding of access to God. And if you are living in a place of condemnation, then let me help you with something. Let's allow the love of the Father to mature in you a little bit more. Through the word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, through getting into environments where you are loved unconditionally. It, it is amazing to be around people who love you if, you, if, you're, if you're successful or if you're struggling. Who love you if you're sick or if you're well. Who love you if you're good or if you're bad. Who love you if you're pretty or if you're ugly. It doesn't matter, we love you. Who love you if you're, if you, uh, the apostle said, if you are abased or if you abound. If, if you're in a place of flourishing or, or in a moment of want, you're still loved. And that unconditional love that loves you no matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, and, and, and all of that, that allows the love of the Father to be perfected, to be matured in you. So that wonderful passage says, love is perfected among us that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. And, and we've talked about that, and I don't want to belabor that, but I sure want you to look in the mirror and see Jesus. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you ought to see Jesus because when you get out of bed, the devil gets nervous that you'll discover who you are and that you'll actually begin to express the kingdom of God in the earth. He's so fearful that you'll figure out who you are. So John is so bold as to say that we have boldness and access to him because we're just like him in the earth. What, who Jesus is, is who you are in the earth. Bring some of that into your neighborhood. Woo! Bring some of that into that godless work environment that you have to go to every day. He goes on with this theme of perfection or perfected love. There's no fear in love. I love this, I love this passage of scripture. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Love drives fear out. What does it mean to cast something out? It doesn't mean to just invite it to leave. It means to kick it out. One time, Lord, and I went to uh, Bishop. He's gone to be with the Lord now, Bishop uh, 
John David Schofield. He was the bishop of the Episcopal Church of San Joaquin, and then, and then there was that great divide, and, and uh, a portion of the church went to the Anglican Church of Africa and, and so on. But, but Bishop John David had, been, had served the queen and had, had been in, in the hierarchy of the, of the church, uh, of the Episcopal Church for many years. He knew church history as a great man of, of God and great man of understanding and wisdom in, in uh, Scripture. And, and I just loved talking to this man. Uh, and and uh, he, he, was, he was just a wealth of knowledge and, and, and full of the Spirit of God. And so we were invited to dinner, and the Halpersons were with us, I believe, that evening. And we went to dinner with him, and we had dinner in his home and, and uh, uh, in this lovely evening together. And then we went and we sat in the drawing room, as you do in, in these situations, you know. And, and we're sitting in his home, and we have dinner with him. And, and the clock strikes, I don't know, 8 o'clock or whatever time it was. And uh, 9 o'clock, was it 9? You remember like it was yesterday, huh? He stands up. And he says, well, I have a full schedule tomorrow. I'm so glad you, you've come to be with me today and, and that we've had this wonderful dinner and this wonderful time of fellowship. Lord bless you as you go. And he just escorted us to the door. <laughs> well, that's what some of us need to do to fear in our life. Well, nice that you came, but get out. It's over. The visit is over. When you have connect in your home, you might need to learn to do that as well. <laughs> it's 8 o'clock, and I'm so glad you came. Listen, that's connect leader training right there. But perfect love casts out fear. There is Listen, when this passage says there is no fear in love, there is virtually zero, no fear, no anxiousness, no anxiety in love. You ought to be so confident in your relationship and in your approach to God that when His love is perfected in you, that whenever you get bad news or things go wrong, your response to those things is that, oh, God must be recharting my course. He must have something better on the horizon for me. You see, the, the, children, the Bible says that the children of Israel, uh, they, they frustrated God in the desert because of unbelief, because he had shown them his great ability to care for them. They'd, crossed the, they'd come out of Egypt and plundered Egypt like if they had gone to war with Egypt, but without a shot being fired, they had taken all the wealth of Egypt. They'd gone into the desert, and, and they'd come up on the Red Sea, and then they'd cross the sea, and the uh, Egyptian uh, army was drowned in the sea, and they go on the other side, and, and they get water from a rock after grumbling for a while, and everything seems to be... Uh, every, every time they face a challenge, God comes and he miraculously uh, overcomes that challenge in their behalf. And then they come up to the promised land and, and they go in to spy out the land and they come back and 10 out of 12 give an evil report and, and, and God is frustrated because no matter what he does in exampling his love for them, they, every time they face a challenge, they're full of fear and anxiety. We can't do it. We've come out here to die. You're going to kill us in the desert. Better that we would have died in Egypt. They have all these conversations. Because they were not convinced of the love of God. They, in all of those experiences, they were unable. Listen, in all of those experiences, 
They were so incapable and unable to absorb the fact that he loved them and that he cared for them and that he would take care of them that they could not receive the promise. So the Bible says that that he became frustrated with them. You ever get frustrated with your kids? It's a character of God. He became frustrated with them. So he says, that's fine. I've made a promise to you. And you won't let me fulfill. Listen, listen. If there's ever a promise that God makes to you and it doesn't manifest in your life, it's because you didn't let it. So since you won't let me fulfill this promise in you, I love you so much that I'm going to fulfill it in your children. I'll just bring it to pass in them. I'll fulfill my promise generationally in your kids. Well, I want to say to you, let's, let, I, I want God to bless my kids, but I want my blessing. Let's let the love of God be manifested and perfected in us to the point that we're able to receive all the good that he's trying to get to us. So he talks about this love being perfected. God abides in us. His love has been perfected in us, in verse 12. And then in verse 17, let, uh, love has been perfected among us in that we, are, we have boldness in the day of judgment. We, we can make this uh, approach to God. And then I believe it's in verse 18. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Listen, you ought to study this whole book over and over again because what you get from John is all of these measuring sticks and barometers in Christ where you can stand them up against your life and you can say, is is love perfected in me? If love is perfected in me, then I'm not afraid to approach God. If love is is perfected in me, then I'm not full of fear. If love is perfected in me, then if, if these things exist in my life, then I've got to give attention to the Father's love being being matured in my life. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful how the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate with us. So in verse 20, he gives more measurement. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, Did you know that this does not say without a cause? Some of y'all have some legitimate reasons to feel things other than love toward other people. I said that as nicely as I could. Some of y'all have been through some stuff because other people have put you through the stuff. And you have legitimate reasons to feel anything but love toward those individuals. Did you know he didn't qualify this statement? With a bunch of qualifications. He just said, if you think you love me and you hate your brother... You don't love me. 
I always, I always tell you this. I'm going to tell you again. This is pastoral. We don't get to choose who God sends through the door. Unless you invite them. You're, you know, you, if you really want to pick who goes here, go get some. That's how you do that. But the Lord sends folks through the door week after week after week. Our responsibility is to be expressions of the love of God in their life. If they hang out with us for a long period of time or if they're only here for one day, and those of you that are visiting here and it's your first day, you ought to hang out with us. We are fun. We are wonderful to know and to be with. This is one of the most loving places in this city. But he says, if we say that we, if we say that we love someone, and or, or that, and, and we, if we hate our brother, if we say that we love God and we hate our brother, we're confused, at best. We're lying. And he asks a question, and this is the measuring stick: Who can hate his brother, whom he can't see, or how can he hate his brother, whom he can't see, and unlove God? I'm saying it all backwards, but you got it. How can he hate his brother who he can see? It's written there in plain English. And love God whom he has never seen. He who loves God must also love his brother. And then I just want to point out to you just a couple of other passages of Scripture on this subject that, that give broader consideration to this. Because we are... Pentecostal in our experience here. We are full of the Spirit of God. We, we strive to be full of the Spirit of God. We strive to have the wisdom that comes from above. We strive to have prophetic expression. We strive to have uh, words of wisdom and words of knowledge and all of those power, gifts of healing and faith and all those things. Those things that we, we, we strive for and that Scripture tells us as a body of believers to strive for and to desire. The Bible, how many know the Bible says desire spiritual gifts? So we desire those things to be, uh, uh, to be active among us and, and uh, we listen for the voice of the Spirit when we worship. And sometimes uh, instead of worshiping 25 minutes, we worship 45 minutes because the Holy Spirit begins to speak and we give Him place to do so. We don't get in a hurry when he's talking. We try to listen and receive. So that's just our context. That's who we are. And then the apostle comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he says, let me help you folks that want everything from God. Right? If I speak with the tongue of men's and angels, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. So I speak with the tongues of men and angels. I don't care, I don't care how full of wisdom and how uh, full of understanding and how powerful my speech is. If I speak to you in a way that it just sounds like God is speaking, but I don't have love, he says, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And, and what he's saying is, you're... If you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. I was thinking about that passage of Scripture um, that uh, tells us that the, the wounds, the faithful wounds of a friend, how loving it is that a, a friend loves you enough to call you on your stuff. 
and that even though their, their, their words feel like it wounds you in the moment, that they are words of correction and instruction to drive you and provoke you to a better place of, of existence, to a better place of understanding, to a better place of relationship with God and with one another. That those wounds that drive you on... I love having people in my life who are willing to speak the truth in love. The truth doesn't always feel so loving, does it? But the motivation, the end result is to be matured in the love of the Father. So he says, I could speak with the tongue of men and angels. It doesn't matter how, how, uh, how articulate that I am. If I don't have love, I'm a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noisemaker. I, I don't want to be just a noisemaker in the kingdom. I, I worked with this guy one time, and, and he was an evangelist at heart, but he missed this point of loving people. So he preached the gospel to people all the time in a very harsh way. Turn or burn, you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. You know, and, and everything was, well, that's all true. But there was no invitation in there at all. And, and those folks that, that he preached to came to me and said, man, if that's the Jesus that, that you want me, I can't do that kind of, I can't do that kind of believing. And I had to work with this guy for well over a year. I prayed every day God would make him leave and I celebrated days he called in sick. Isn't that terrible? Because he got behind those people who didn't know Jesus and he just drove them like, like his words were like a whip on their back. You're going to have to receive Jesus. Well, his heart, his motivation was he didn't want anybody to go to hell. But he forgot how to love. And I prayed and I said, God, first of all, I said, God, why did you put me here with this guy? He is driving me crazy. We go to the same kind of church. We were attending the same Bible college. And, I, and, I, and they knew that. And they associated me with him in the early days. And the Lord said, shut your mouth. Just say nothing and walk among these people. That's what he told me. Say nothing and walk among these people. And so they would come to me and, and they would tell me that he was being harsh with them and, and that he was uh, preaching Jesus to them and they were saying, I, I don't think that the Jesus that he's serving and the Jesus that you're serving are the same Jesus because you don't act like him. And, I, and then, then I begin to discover, oh, they're getting it. Okay. And I said, just be patient with him. He's young. Don't, don't, don't worry about him. Just, I, I said, almost said ignore him. Well, I worked with him for about a year, and then, and then he moved away, and thank God, he moved away, and the place became peaceful, and, and then the Lord said, now. And then I served among those people for about a year after that, and, and one by one, I sat with them at lunch, and, and, and they said, now, when he was talking, he said this, and he said this, and he said this, and then I would just unfold the scripture to them and, and tell them that Jesus loved them, and I told them that I, I just excused his immaturity and, and gave them a mature love pointed them to Jesus. And time after time after time, I don't know how many of them are walking with God today, but time after time they would say, well now if I ever, if I ever walk with God, I, I could do that. I can serve that, that. The God that you serve, I can serve. 
And I would just love them, pray with them, pray for them, and point them to Jesus. Because without love, you're just noise. Parents, parents, let me give you some pastoral understanding. If your discipline is in frustration without love, you're just noise. But if there's always love and restoration involved in the process of disciplining and raising your children in our God, love, love, must be part of the process, the ministry of reconciliation, of restoration. One of the, one of the downfalls, I've shared with you this, and my father's a great man of God. One of the downfalls in, in the discipline that we receive from him, he's a hard man, he's from that generation, he's tough, tough. You never knew when it was over. It's kind of got past. And the Lord taught me with my children after they were disciplined to have conversations about, I love you, and we're going to move on from this now. We say things like that. We're going to move on from this now. It's done. Because, because of Jesus, God is continually saying to you, we're going to move on from this now. In, in statements like, his mercy is new every morning. We're going to move on from this now. Let's just go forward. So he said there, I'm just going to go through this very quickly, and, and then we will go eat. <laughs> if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I've become sounding brass and clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all kinds of mysteries and I have all knowledge and, and I have all kinds of faith and if I could remove mountains, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and I give my body to be burned, if I, if I listen, if I'm martyred for the faith, that's what that says. If I'm martyred for the faith and I don't have love, Profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Everybody say long suffering. When you say long suffering, you have to say it really long. You, long suffering, right? Yes. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't provoke. It thinks no evil. Love presumes the best intent in everyone. Doesn't presume evil. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. I discovered something because I realized that I'd done... Uh, I began to calculate one day and I had performed approximately 50 or 60 at that point in time, maybe uh, weddings over the course of my ministry. And, and I began to look back over the ones I could attach to and realize about half of them were no longer married and all that. And, and I'm reading scriptures at their wedding. I'm reading love never fails. Well, what happened? We failed love. That's what happened. We failed love. Love didn't fail. You're quiet. Love doesn't fail. Because God is love and God doesn't fail. 
Still, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is done, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now listen to this. Listen. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became mature, we're talking about letting the love of the Father be matured in us. When I became mature, I put away childish or immature things. I just put them away. How many of y'all have that box in the attic? It's full of all those things from childhood that you put away. You quit playing with those things. Okay, in, 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 spirit, in spiritual life, in the, in the life of God, there comes a time when we just quit playing with the childish things. I'll let you meditate upon that. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I will know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You know when we'll know that Church of Living Water is a mature church? We're on our way. We're a long ways from where we were. But we're not where we need to be yet, or he wouldn't keep preaching to us. We'll be in a place of great maturity when we've learned that loving him is loving one another. When we've learned that our greatest investment is him is, is, is being invested among one another in the relationships that he's forming among us right now. God is forming relationships in your life right now that long-term are going to be life-changing, dramatic, impactful, strengthening relationships. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. You want to know God? You got to love one another. You want God to abide in you? You want to be his place of habitation? You got to love one another. Let's stand together. Let's close out our time together in this way. I just want you to kind of reach over and take the hand of somebody next to you. We're not singing Kumbaya, I promise. <laughs> Anthony might sing Kumbaya, but we're not singing Kumbaya. But I want you, for just a few minutes, I want you to say, Lord, that I want the word that, that has been preached to me to become life to me and life living in me. There's someone standing next to you, and I want you to pray over their life that the love of the Lord would be released and evident and clear to them because, because some of you are holding hands with people that aren't quite sure about the love of God. Some of you have hold of a hand of someone who's not quite sure of the love of the Father. They've never been loved quite like this. Would you just pray for love to be expressed in this body? Come on, just pray for one another right now. Just bless one another, pray for one another, lift one another. Father, we pray that this word that we've received would be alive in us. We pray that we would love one another the way that you loved us. We pray, oh God, that your love would be perfected in us. Oh Lord, we pray we commit ourselves to the process of doing life together, loving one another. We commit ourselves to the process of lifting one another up.
encouraging one another, building one another. Father, if there's anyone in this room right now, under the sound of my voice, if there's anyone in this room that has difficulty receiving love, I break that now in the name of Jesus. If there's anyone in this room that has difficulty expressing and giving love, I break the power of that wall in their life down right now, for it is the anointing of the Lord that breaks the yoke of bondage. I pray that when people cross the threshold of this house, when they walk into this room and they dwell among these people, that they are convinced that they are loved by God and by people, that they are convinced that they are valuable to the kingdom of God. Be convinced of his love today. Be convinced of his love today.